like to start our show with an introduction and a reminder of why we do it. In November of 2000, our 17-year-old daughter Leah died in a car accident. Meeting the grief of her death helped us to more fully understand the territory of grief. We each took our own path on that journey, and we've now arrived in a place where we can join together to help others navigate their grief journeys. Leah's death provided a doorway to our transformation, one that we never expected. Our passion is changing the conversation around grief and helping those we talk to find meaning, purpose, and joy again so they can fully participate in their lives. We invite you to join today's conversation and help us build community. Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan, where conversations build community. Our Monday Morning Conversations are meant to create a safe space where respectful dialogue is encouraged. Our intention is to promote understanding by listening when having difficult conversations. We hope to offer you resources as you travel your personal journey. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, and uh, we're excited today to have a guest speaker uh, coming to us from Jacksonville, Florida. I'd like to start out with how we start out every show with a little piece of inspirational music. This is by Naco and Medicine for the People. It's called Manifesto. It is looped now, tongue and mind Played off the sidewalk, straight to your boombox How it travels from here to memory Well, this is medicine There's a message within And each will find it in their own time Don't waste your hate Rather gather and create Be of service Be a sensible person Use your words and don't be nervous You can do this, you've got purpose Find your medicine and use it They sing, don't waste your hate Rather gather and create Be of service, be a sensible person Use your words and don't be nervous You can do this, you've got purpose Find your medicine and use it and medicine for the people that was a group that we came upon when we were living in North Carolina and um, uh, at a music festival that culture Corey Hills and a couple of uh, 60 year old somethings um, listening to inspirational music uh, just touched my heart and I wanted to share it with you today because I think that our message is to be of service to one another. And I'd like to begin today's program with why I believe that this is one of the most important and pressing issues that the Twin Cities, and in fact, I think the entire uh, country, faces in a time when the challenge to model responsible leadership and commitment to the future is important. As a young man growing up in Chicago in the late 60s, 
the city was undergoing racial and political turmoil that uh, resonates with the atmosphere in some of our urban neighborhood communities. And in other communities, there is an open, welcoming, and uh, dare I say loving uh, embracing of one another. I think that's what we need. And I pray that in my community uh, that I am sensitive to the changes that are possible. And I remember that back in the day, there was a lot of fear and anger. And it moves us to observe that and to be sensitive to change, that change can enter our communities and that our lives can be touched and moved to be a positive influence. Today we'll talk to Shante Jackson and while it's normal and natural for a young person to try and express themselves, it is a process of self-discovery that takes time and can be very stressful, especially when those influences attempt to direct that expression or worse, try to shut down the feelings that a person may be interested in and attracted to. How many young people have given up before they've realized their dreams? And our guest today, Shante Jackson of Subliminal Dreams, uh, will provide, uh, who provides support for those who are looking for directions in their efforts to keep moving forward toward their dreams. Thanks, Dan. I'm really excited to introduce Shante to you. Uh, Shante is the founder uh, and CEO of Subliminal Dreams Incorporated. She's a native of Jacksonville, Florida, originally from St. Petersburg, Florida, and the oldest of 11. She's always had a passion for nurturing and listening to others. She had no choice but to listen with all the, the constant sibling fighting going on. She, moving to Jacksonville in 1966 with her mom changed her life. She has met and interacted with some of the most amazing people, and she has, some, has had some of the best careers in her life the state's attorney's office while in high school at Edward H. White, overseeing one of the most prestigious learning facilities, nursing, which she has performed for six years, and she has devoted over 65,000 hours educating, volunteering, learning, and mentoring children and adults. In her spare time, she enjoys reading, writing, spending time with her dogs and her significant other, and together they enjoy aqua activities, traveling, cooking, and learning. She aspires to become a pillar in the community as well as a strong advocate and resource for young men to give them hope so they don't give up on themselves and seek a higher peace and a sense of responsibility within themselves. Welcome, Shante. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Good morning to you, Dan and Nancy. Good morning. We're gonna dive in with some questions and our conversations always take an organic turn to them, so um, we're looking forward to our conversation today. So let's start out with, how did you get into the mental health profession, Shante? Um, I got in the mental health profession about three and a half years ago um, after I experienced some of my own personal and um personal experiences with um, just life, um, having trauma, and um, a lot of things that uh, was dealing with me um, back in 2019, right, um, right before the height of the pandemic. Um, I had some personal things happen, fail of a marriage, uh, loss of a stepchild, and um, I just was struggling really, really bad. And I know that I needed something to help me, but then I also realized that I needed to find something to help others. And um, it started about three years ago. It's, it's, it's so often that that happens, that we, the work that we are called to do in the world comes from meeting our, our own needs. Um, we, we hear that so often, and that certainly is true for us as well. Exactly. And you know our story, uh, Shante. You know, we lost our daughter 23 years ago, and, um, uh, and that we did the same thing. You know, we had to find... Uh, our own path through uh, the grief that we experience. And um, I think it's the same uh, is true for people in the world, in, in our communities. Grief Most is definitely. not taught. Yeah, grief exactly. is not taught in schools. And, um, you know, we learn it through 
observing how our parents and how our community grieves. And it can be a catalyst for change in ourselves and uh, be an inspiration to find our path in life. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, and um, I definitely agree with grief is something that's not taught in school and it's definitely something that's not taught in the communities as a whole. Um, grief looks different for everyone. And um, I think that's a, a topic that we would rather not have. So we would rather just sweep it under the rug and dress it up with some nice clothes and hope that the skeletons don't fall out. Exactly. It's <laughs> a good way of putting exactly. it. Exactly. Tell us a little bit more about your health, your mental health journey. So my mental health journey um, definitely started when I was younger. Um, I've always been aware of who I am and how I factored into the world and society. Um, But it really spun out of control after the loss of my marriage. Um, I was married for 16 years. um, And once that came to an end, it really put me in a bad space. Um, I dealt with suicidal ideology really, really heavily, um, even contemplated and attempted a few times and was unsuccessful, thankfully. But um, I was just in a really bad space and I felt like no one else knew what I was going through. No one else had experienced what I had went through and I really didn't know how to articulate it. So I was internalizing everything. Um, And it came to a point to where I was trying to self-medicate and I was um, practicing all different types of coping mechanisms and Mm -hmm. really lashing out at any and everyone who I felt could have had a a role in um, my unhappiness and what led to my marriage failing. And like I said, right at the height of all of that happening, I ended up losing um, someone that I really cared about, which was my youngest stepson. He was um, someone that I could relate to in regards to just having those struggles and knowing that someone could identify with what I was going through. And once he was shot and killed in 2020, um, it really just put me back in um, a very dark place. Um, I was homeless and I was trying to appease the masses, um, meaning I was posting things on social media and presenting like I was happy, but in reality, I was um, I was homeless. I really didn't have anything that I could call my own. I'd lost pretty much everything. And um, before I really, really hit rock bottom, I just really found myself asking the questions of why am I here and what is my purpose? and what would I do if I actually was given the opportunity to to find a purpose? And um, in the height of the grief and the self-medication and the suicidal thoughts, I was broken. I mean, there's no other way to really put mm-hmm. it. I really didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I didn't believe there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And it really took a lot of digging within myself and self-preservation and of course finding religion and leaning into therapy and 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 really taking what was inside of me and putting it on the outside um i know that they typically say wearing your feelings on your sleeves can can get you in a peculiar situations but i felt like for me to to fully recover i had to put everything on my sleeve and and really make myself available for the help from individuals that I knew and individuals that I didn't know um, because I didn't know exactly what my mental health journey looked like. And so I had to be open to receive that feedback and that help at that time. And, and before then I was, I, I just wasn't ready. Oh, thank you for your story. Uh, it's very moving. And that's these awkward conversations, the things that uh, open us up to one another can make the difference in you know the the people that are hearing your story and it certainly touched our hearts here in the studio and so many times we hear similar things that uh, by sharing the journey with someone and speaking of it it opens us to uh, the healing that is necessary and certainly uh, that's apparent in from your story and where you've come and we want to hear more about subliminal dreams and the vision that you have um, for helping your community tell us more yes so um like i said in in the height of my grief and trauma um subliminal dreams was birth um like i said um hit rock bottom 
really didn't know where to go, what to do. I was working in nursing. I just transitioned out of the early childhood education industry and I went back to nursing. So I was dealing with a lot of end of life care and helping families learn how to deal with the changes that affected their families. And I felt like I was not doing a justice of what it was that was really in my heart. And um, I've always had a passion and I've always wanted to help my community. I just never knew in what form. And so I just remember um, just saying these three words on a daily basis, um, help me learn my purpose, help me master my purpose and help me live in my purpose. And um, I just felt like I was just going through the motions, getting up, going to a nine to five and clocking in and going home and not really fulfilling what I felt my purpose was. And so um, I was riding across the bridge and I'll never forget it. The sun was rising and I said those three things and um, the name Subliminal Dreams came. And I was like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, it's, it's a name. And um, I went home that day and I started doing some research and trying to Google, like, is there businesses with this name? Um, where does this name come from? And I couldn't find any businesses or entities that had that name. And so I just kind of put it in the back of my mind. But I continued to say, let me learn my purpose. Let me master my purpose. Let me live in my purpose. And so the more I kept saying that, the more it kept coming to me, like, you're going to start a mental health nonprofit and you're going to really impact the community. And so I, I started doing research on mental health in the community and what it looked like. And at first, you know, I was like, OK, well, you know, m maybe homeless people are the only people that experience mental health issues. And so I started to go into the community and help the displaced population. And what I come to realize is not the displaced population, but all populations are experiencing mental health issues, mental health turmoil, emotional challenges, mental health disorders. But how can I, uh, how can I assist them? How can I facilitate and bring awareness to this cause? And the more that I went into the community and the more that I started working, the more that I started realizing like, yes, adults and me included, yes, we have mental dispositions and yes, we have mental illnesses and, and disorders that we can go and articulate and say, hey, I need help when we're ready. But there's a population that we're overlooking and there's a population that we're missing and that's our children. And the more I started going to therapy for myself, I realized that a lot of the, the behavior and the decisions that I made in life were deep, deep rooted in my childhood and things that I was missing and things that I felt like I needed to strive for, um, i.e. my relationship with my mother and my relationship with my father, seeing how my siblings and I were all raised differently. Um, those were things that I internalized, not knowing that as an adult, I would seek out that type of attention from my peers or in the workplace, how that would translate to my people pleasing. And so I said, well, our teens and our children and our youth, they don't have a voice because adults pretty much interact for them and speak on behalf of them and make decisions and assumptions based on what they perceive to be best. And a lot of our parenting styles is deep, deep rooted in trauma and our mental health issues and things that we saw our parents doing. And, and I, I made a conscious decision right then as an educator and as a professional that our children are not the same as what we experienced growing up. And they don't have the the exposure to things that we have, their exposure is way greater in regards to social media and having cell phones and being out in the community. How can I be a voice for our youth? How can I be a voice for our children? How can I take my experience and what I went through and really articulate and break it home so that minors and youth and children growing up behind me can see that what I have to offer and what I'm offering them is tools to better help them navigate their mental well-being, help them navigate their pressures in their community, in their home life, their school life, and to articulate those things so that the adults that are providing care for them can better support them, to better help them grow, to help them get to that next level, so that way they don't find themselves in adversive situations where they don't know how to cope or where they're expecting the reality to be sunflowers and daisies when in reality those sunflowers and daisies can get cut down and you have to learn how to go back in and cultivate them and, and make them bloom again for you so i really started to invest in the 
the mental health aspect for our children and for our youth. And what I come to find out was our children are struggling immensely and it's younger than we expected. We're talking two years and, and, and greater. And I wanted to create a platform and resources to where our children could have those resources and have those platforms where they could speak and not fear recourse for what it is that they're saying. Um, I know that parenting styles, especially these days, can look a lot different and we want what's best for our children and we want to live through our children. But at the same time, if they can't be authentically themselves with us, then they can't be themselves with anyone else. And so Subliminal Dreams was crafted to give them that platform to say that we want you to be as you were meant to be and however that looks for you in your mind and when you look at yourself in the mirror or when you are interacting in your community help let us help bring that out let us help you get the tools so that way you can be exactly who you want to be who you were meant to be but with a sound mind so that way you understand what mental well-being looks like as a whole yeah one of the things i really love about your story is that you went into it with faith and without knowing what it would look like and you you kept uh repeating your mantra of show me what my purpose is every day and you were open to being shown where you could best serve i I love that because so often we think we have to do things a certain way and we don't we can do things in whatever way is right for us. And, and what was our mantra uh, when uh, we were going through this? If you remember, I, I am ready. Show me the way. Show me the way. Yeah, well, and, and the other thing that, that I was struck by when you were talking, it reminded me of a guest we had a few weeks ago, Kiva Shula, who wrote a book entitled Peaceful Parenting, the, the Peaceful Parenting Revolution. And she, she said that our goal as parents is to raise responsible adults. And that's exactly what you're speaking to. And, and the gap yeah. that exists between yes. what happens in the, within the family life and then what happens at school or what happens in society in general. And I think that's mm-hmm. a distinction. Um, many of these things and I sometimes get on social media myself and I, I put thoughts out. And one of the things about today's show, uh, a comment that came up was that this all begins at home. And mm-hmm. if you have a supportive and loving environment to, to grow, you, you can find your way. Yeah, and but not if everybody it, has that. Exactly. And if you have yep. uh, something that is troubled, then you need this extra assistance to help you be more well-rounded and to find that place a little more easily. And, and I think from what I'm hearing, that's what you're, you're striving for. Uh, yes. Tell, tell us about the people that you serve and, and you know, the the work that uh, is embodied in when someone comes to you. And I'm and not to toot my horn, but um, I definitely pride myself on um, being a curator of um, events that will elicit our, our community to lower their inhibitions. Um, therapy and counseling and mental health is a stigma that is, I mean, it, it without words um, can put someone into a dark place. Um, No one wants the diagnosis, no one wants a label, um, but everyone wants to receive the resources. And so what we do at Subliminal Dreams, and we are for everyone, um, I typically say we are for everyone. Um, We help from two all the way up to 25 and we go beyond that. But of course we want the person to want the help and to seek us out and come back after they've reached 25. But the reason we start at two and go to 25 is because those are the most critical years of development. Even at 25, you are still learning who you are and you're still fine tuning yourself as an adult and as an individual. And so we want to make sure that we come in and make sure that you have all the tools that you understand how you function, like you said, in your home life, in your school life, in your work life, in relationships, um, in your personal and professional relationships. And so we 
um, work with displaced populations. We work with minority populations. We know that these are populations that typically are overlooked when it comes to resources or they have to travel extensive places or go outside of their normal means to seek those resources. So we bring the resources to low-income communities and low-income families, families that are struggling to get the resources. We come to them. We meet them where they are to to influence them and give them the resources and materials that they need. We work with special needs children. We work with um, young girls, young boys. We work with pretty much anyone that is open and willing to receive our services. Because again, we don't want to force the services or mental health on our community, but we are advocating and making them aware that you, you don't know you need these services, but you need these services. You, you should be here receiving what it is that we offer. We get um, professionals, therapists, counselors out of their offices to help break that stigma because we know that uh, a lot of stigmas is attached to having to go to an office and possibly lay down on someone's sofa or chair. We break those stigmas and get them out of their offices and into the community so that way you don't even know that while we're doing yoga, you just received a form of therapy or while we were painting that you just received a form of therapy or even while we were singing at the concert, that's a form of therapy. You just release certain serotonins and endorphins and that has allowed you to be able to see things a little bit different or process something a little bit different. We uh, practice a holistic approach um, in regards to catering to that person's mental health and what their needs look like. And so what that would look like is if someone reached out to me, child or an adult, and they needed services, the first thing and the biggest thing that we um, advocate with our services is that we're active listeners. We are here to listen to you first. We are not here to judge you. We are not here to label you. We are not here to give you erroneous advice. We are here to listen because nine times out of 10, that is what someone really is looking for, is for someone to genuinely, authentically, authentically listen to their problems. And then from there, it's asking if you need help and do you want the help and providing them with the different resources because sometimes after talking you may have solved your own problem or you may have given yourself different tools to help you get out of the situation and so from there we will ask how would that help look like would it look like me coming to you or you coming to me or us meeting in the community and from there gathering that team of therapists and counselors and other professionals to rally around that person and creating a plan, whether it's for a week or two weeks or six months or a year, two years, three years, and just following up with that person and making sure that they know they have support and that they are supported um, for our children and our youth. It's going into the schools and letting them know that we're here, um, giving them those incentives, bringing them out into the community and letting them see and work in their community and take pride and ownership in what it is that belongs to them. Um, we do a lot of the community is our investment. Um, we can't expect a lot of third party people or individuals to come in and, and take control of where we lay our heads and where we sleep. And so in order for us to create that extra measure of security, we teach them that you take care of your community, you take care of your home, you take care of others that reside in that community with you. And that's how we become stronger. And um, we just saturate the community with resources, whether it's clothes or food, socks or back to school supplies. So it's always keeping our ears in the community to find out exactly what it is that they're looking for and what it is that they need at that time and making sure that we provide it to them as soon as and sooner than later. That is beautiful. And uh, again, um, uh, sounds like some amazing work that you're doing. And in a similar fashion, and I mentioned this off the air to you, uh, this past weekend was the Taste of Rondo. And uh, Nancy and I attended that as part of uh, the station's um, uh, outreach to our community. And the connections and the um, flavor of that event was very much building a community of resources within the community because you're right. That's the place where it needs to happen, and that's where you could really make the greatest impact. And if someone knows someone who is 
struggling, what better way than a neighbor to reach out and say, hey, what can I do? Or let me do this for you. You know, let me let me cut your grass because I know you're you're running late to get to your job or to pick up your kids. Uh, let me get some groceries for you. Let me you know, let, let me do something that will help ease your burden. And when we're of service to each other, then the community can thrive. Yeah, and right. I, 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 I love agree. I love that that you create a unique program, resources, et cetera, for each individual's needs. Because so often, or probably the cookie cutter solutions never work because they are for one one specific person or one, one specific demographic. And that doesn't uh, happen across the board. And the same thing is true for when Dan and I are meeting with grief clients. Everybody does grief differently. And one of the things I use in my practice is creativity, like you, you were talking about um, music and dance and collaging and other ways to allow your feelings to come to the surface without having to say what they are because that's what we don't like to do. We don't like to talk about those uncomfortable and painful feelings when we never have before but if we express them through movement or through uh collaging or artwork or any um, creativity any type of yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. i i love i love that you incorporate that in in your work as well Uh, one of the other things that i i heard that um is is so true in when you're facing the difficulties is your willingness to admit that, um, hey, my life's not turning out the way that I had hoped that it, it would, and I need to do something about it. And um, that takes such courage. And, you know, the outreach uh, and just having the availability of that service to um, embrace those people who recognize it because you're right it has to be they have to be ready and you're not ready until you're ready to get the help that you need you know yeah Yeah. i am chasing people down i'm not going to say chasing but i am still following up with individuals that i met a year ago and two years ago and you know just letting them know like you know don't give up on your mental health journey um just because my journey may look like it's easy, please don't by no means judge me on what you see now mm-hmm. because it took a minute and it was a lengthy process and I am still healing. Like there's no way that I can unpack 16 years worth of trauma. There's no way that I could look anyone in their face and say, you can unpack trauma in this amount of time. Childhood trauma lives with us and grief is ever evolving and it looks different from day to day and I typically tell people that are in the community and when I talk to about mental health and I talk about grief and I talk about trauma it's the first thing that you want to do is you recognize it within yourself and it starts with you and the first letters in mental health is me and you can't help someone else if you're not trying to help yourself first and so if you don't factor yourself into mental health, but you're worried about everyone else's mental health, then when it's time for them to rally around you, they won't even know what your mental health looks like because you've alienated yourself from your own mental health and your own journey and your own traumas and your own situations that now you can't articulate how to help or how to receive help or ask for help. So um, I typically tell anyone especially children because that's who I, I i work with it's okay to speak up it's okay to speak loudly and it's okay to be aggressive about how you feel because no one's going to be able to tell you to feel differently because it's your feelings and you have the right to feel that way exactly that's such an important message that our feelings are need to be heard our feelings want to be Heard. And so often I find that, I found for myself, that they feel more intense than they really are because they want to be 
heard, they want to be met, they want to be expressed. And then when I start expressing them, they quiet down a little bit because they are um, having a form of expression, whatever that form of expression might be. The other thing I'm wondering is when you're working with younger children who, who have parents at home, do you provide help for the parents as well? Because I can't do something, I can't help my child become a responsible adult if I'm not working on myself too. Yes, and so that is also the unique aspect to um, the community work that we do. Um, we do have a lot of children that are in the homes with families. Um, some are single parents, whether it's the mother or the father, and some of them have um, a very unique support system where you, they have both parents in the family, and then they have the grandparents and other extended families that comes in. And so um, I do educate the families. Um, I do give them resources um, because you have some parents and some family units that don't believe in mental therapy or counseling. And so they kind of create those barriers and make it hard for their children to reach out and want to seek the services. And so we we have um, a spin to it. Um, We love to work directly with our children and our youth and we heal our parents through their children. Mm -hmm. And so we give the children the tools and the, the proper techniques to model it in home so that way the parents could see what the children are learning and how the children are setting up barriers and parameters. Um, I typically tell our children, you know, it's okay to set boundaries with your parents and with your family units because they are your frontier and your front line on how you deal with relationships. And it's kind of like your trial and error. If you're setting a boundary with your parents or your family and they become aversive to it, it's not saying that you're wrong for setting that boundary, but it prepares you for the real world and how other people may respond to those same boundaries. And it just puts you on alert to how people respond to you establishing boundaries for yourself. But we definitely try to heal the parents and educate the parents through their children Mm -hmm. and through their students, because some parents are just not open and receptive to receiving that information. But if they see the transformation and they see the change in their children, they'll be more open to receiving that information and more likely to go along with it and start to have those challenging conversations. Um, We do know that as parents, it's hard for them to have those challenging conversations, especially when it's dealing with if your child is having suicidal thoughts or if you feel like your child is being bullied or having sexual um, issues with their sexuality. So it's giving the parents those tools to be able to open up and have those conversations and letting them know that whatever they ch- their child shares with them, they are not to respond or be quick to judge or place consequences on them because the child internalizes that and it affects them way deeper and later on in life than the parent would ever think in the moment when they're behaving and or trying to redirect the child. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I get that <laughs> viscerally because I had the same experience growing up and I often talk about how my grief journey allowed me to go back and heal some of those deep childhood wounds. We really appreciate uh, you sharing uh, the information about subliminal dreams and offering some insight into work that's going on in other parts of the country and uh, I do want to mention that um, you know, we have uh, recognized that some local services that are, are being offered, again, um, there is one that I know of that works with young men. It's 8 to 18, uh, the Truce Center, and uh, a new one that is called Teens with Ambition that uh, seek to work with a little bit older than your two to 25, but um, you know the, those teenage years where there's so much anxiety and angst that uh, mm-hmm. that happens, and you know it's not only the parental situations that have an effect; it's those school situations and so much of that uh, social interaction that occurs, some to the good. But a lot that, uh, you know, what we hear is 
uh, not as positive as it could be. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there, there's local resources to our listening audience here that uh, we could reach out to, some of which uh, will be coming up on uh, guest spots uh, in future shows that we want to mention. But um, one of the things that over the weekend I had a conversation with a gentleman who had shared, uh, and I don't know if um, you, know, you, you were saying about uh, job opportunities and things that uh, work uh, in your community, he was asking about whether or not kids today find, I don't even know how to quite put this, resources in you know, trades, you know, the construction trades, uh, certainly kids are interested in music and, uh, and entertainment. You know, I don't know whether or not there is ways for trade unions to have an impact and influence, uh, but he seemed to think that um, their commitment, I guess, and interaction with uh, the community is something that could help build a stronger community. Have you oh, had any yes. experience with that? Oh, most definitely. Um, I definitely um, think that with our youth, I think that hearing from adults is, oh, I've been there. Oh, I've done that. They they need a little bit more. They need to be extended upon. And so with my programs and my mentorships, it's getting um, the professionals out there that actually have a story to tell. Like, Seeing a professional is one thing, but seeing that professional and having that professional tell you like, hey, I didn't get good at this. It took work. It took practice. I lost a little bit. I gained a little bit, but I didn't give up. And so what I do um, with our youth, especially with young boys, um, with our mentorship programs and things like that, getting them involved with someone who is committed to them, meaning they understand that they have to show up and that they have to be consistent because we have lives technically in our hands. And even though we're not steering it, but our actions, they're watching everything that we do. So when we have our volunteers and we have our professionals show up, we ask them to commit wholly, not to us, but to the child, to the person that is ultimately going to not follow in their footsteps, but inadvertently follow in their footsteps. So if they're already experiencing abandonment issues and having trust issues and not understanding how to fully trust an adult, then having a professional or a mentor that's exhibiting those same behaviors is ultimately going to set them back. So we actually look for those community leaders and those community professionals that understands the commitment the consistency and shows up. I mean, we all have life and life is lifing. I mean, we have full time jobs and we have families and things that we want and make sure that we commit to and have obligations. But when it comes to the mission, we want to make sure that we are always committed and that we're always showing up. I mean, there's no other way to really put it on um, this past weekend. I spent over 10 hours and what felt like 200 degree weather, but it was to make sure that the commitment and the service and they that I was there to to give them exactly what it was that I told them, the resources and the commitment of showing that I'm going to show up and support you no matter what it looks like. Um, and it goes a long way when they see that you continuously show up for them, not just because you're looking for it on social media or because you're trying to raise this astronomical amount of funds people want to know that you're actually showing up for them because you care yeah that is so important and that connection is what helps i think sustain um, movements like this and uh, again what we want to foster is that sense that we can build these kinds of programs together and reach out to businesses who have a vested interest in bringing uh, in new uh, talent to help their industries, to help, uh, you know, and there's so many things uh, uh, from computer science uh, and technology to, 
musical guilds, musical uh, enterprises that, well, even, even the radio station here offers internships to learn about how to operate a uh, soundboard that can be a stepping stone to a child into something that uh, may not have been possible, that they won't, wouldn't normally get in a school situation because there it's more regimented and you know uh, I love that you said that yeah well it's true you know uh, we're all individuals and we all have all the, the our need to have our needs met and mm-hmm. um, you know sometimes it takes working outside the box in order to make change come about mm-hmm. I love that you said that because that's uh, one of the biggest things is exposing our communities to different forms of art and humanities that they typically wouldn't even think is a form of art or a form of humanity or a form of self-care and letting them know like it looks different for everyone um Mm -hmm. i'm actually getting ready to start a pool club for youth um i mean pool is typically associated with adults but for me the components is a critical thinking game it's also a breathing technique because you have to slow down and focus and hand-eye coordination so pool can actually serve as a very very therapeutic sport but youth aren't exposed to that only adults and so the whole point of subliminal dreams is taking pretty much everything that is available for adults and making it available for our youth minus the, the detrimental stuff like we're not advocating for drinking and, and drugs like we're actually trying to get that stuff away from youth because mm-hmm. that's what they're using to cope right. we're trying to change that narrative and i was actually speaking to some someone the other day about the fact that seven-year-olds seven-year-olds are on the statistics of vaping and and drinking and self-medicating where Mm. whereas at one point seven-year-olds were kids like they're not playing anymore like they're immersing themselves into adult-like situations and half of the time they can't come from it i mean within the last five years how how much of an up spike in crimes from 10 year olds and under have we seen i mean we got the elementary schoolers going to school with guns and shooting their teachers we have toddlers getting in cars and going on high-speed chases not understanding the full scope of what they've just done because they don't have all the tools to process what just happened exactly yeah Yeah. exactly Mm. well uh, um, this has been an amazing conversation and I can't believe it's (laughs) coming up to the top of the hour Um, yes Shante how can our listeners get in touch with you if they would like more information so they could um, actually um, get in touch with us. I like to tell people we're everywhere. So um, we're on Google, of course, but we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have all of our um, business platforms established to where you could get involved with our mission, find out more about what it is that we're doing, donate to any one of our causes. We are currently raising funds for our um, at Youth Crisis Center so that we're trying to get our first um, center built in Jacksonville. Um, We also launched our Youth Minority Crisis Hotline, um, which is a hotline that is 24-7 specifically geared towards youth, um, giving them a platform to be able to talk and Mm -hmm. get involved with some of our professionals. Yeah. We're, we're pretty much everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Thank you. And um, this is this has uh, this conversation has just has just been dipping our toe into the water of a much bigger conversation. So um, perhaps we'll have you back again to dive a little bit deeper. Most definitely. I would love to be back. And thank you so much for um, having me and, and asking me all those tough questions. It's been my first uh, first time really digging deep and really talking about the mission, the cause and mental health and why it's so important to protect our youth and, and advocating for the resources for them. Well, uh, we love the passion that you bring uh, in what you've shared today. Uh, it is very apparent and um you have clearly defined your mission and have you asked and you received yeah exactly um and isn't that the way it happens the universe provides the opportunities when um you put yourself out there so today you know we've talked with with you uh, about some of this amazing work that is going on in in florida and hopefully 
it expands and reaches as many people as possible as we work with youth and and i've done some grief camps with kids that um, they show up on a friday afternoon downtrodden and thinking that all the weight of the world is on their shoulder and by sunday afternoon when they're ready to return you can see that they have a, a lightness in their spirit, uh, smiles on their faces, and they're ready to take that next step. And that is a turning point that um, uh, really touched me in, in doing this kind of work, reaching out to others to lift them up, to provide um, that opportunity to engage with them in an authentic way so that their light can shine. And that's what I hear in your story, Shante. Uh, thank you very much. Today's inspiration uh, I've taken from uh, the Mankind Project. And the Mankind Project is a nonprofit training and education organization with over three decades of proven success hosting life-changing experiential personal development programs for men. They believe that emotionally mature, powerful, compassionate, and purpose-driven men will help heal some of our society's deepest wounds. And so this really touched me when I read this quote. Men's work is the physical, social, emotional, and spiritual work of building and supporting the emotionally mature, accountable, and compassionate male role models that our communities desperately need. Thanks, Shante. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan. Thank you for listening. Through our own journey, we know that it's possible to find meaning, purpose, and joy again after a loss. Join us each week as we share useful information to help you develop the skills necessary to meet grief when it enters your life and to show you the importance of having difficult conversations, even when you don't know how to start them. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at our website, beingwithgrief.com.